Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast, where I'm here with uh, Steve Cooper. You're all done vacationing now, Steve? Yes, for the time being. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always into a vacation, Tom. How was, so, your, how was your time off, your well-deserved break? It was, it was fantastic. Excellent. It was fantastic. I get to, to spend some time at the beach with my kids. As you know, when you have young kids, it's not really a vacation. It's not. No, it's like living someplace else with your kids. You need a vacation from the kids. That's the only way to achieve a, a true vacation is not to have an apparent. The job stuff is pretty easy in, in comparison. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And of course, this podcast stuff. Podcast is easy. Yes. Podcast is and, easy. And it's, like, and it's like one of your children, isn't it, Steve? Don't you just love it? It matters as much to me as my children. <laughs> that's the spirit. That's what I like to hear. And I'm sure, I'm sure the folks at the Silos Group agree that that sounds yeah. like a, a great philosophy. So you had a great conversation with, uh, with Jared Hyman. Uh, yeah. He's the founder and CEO of, uh, of CrowdMed. And uh, we'll just get into it. I mean, it's, it's, as the name suggests, it's, it's part of the, the crowd phenomena, but you haven't really seen this applied to healthcare yet. So tell us a bit about CrowdMed. Well, the idea that is, is that you can use the, the, quote, wisdom of crowds to you know, help solve medical mysteries. And in fact, you know, he uses that sort of model of thinking, you know, throughout the, the business and the way he talks about his business in terms of having, you know, detectives uh, look at cases uh, with, of people about their condition, about their medical condition and their symptoms and try to help come to a diagnosis where a diagnosis has proved difficult through the traditional way of getting one, which is through a physician visit or, or testing. Yeah, and you guys were getting uh, pretty nerdy in there talking yeah. about the, the different models and, and predictive modeling and things. And it was a fascinating comparison between, well, there's, there's the stock market, yeah. and yeah. then there's the other type of gambling, which is actually gambling. Yeah. And this is sort of drawing on the same level of the source of intelligence, just sort of bringing all the minds together, some of them great, some of them perhaps less than great, and, and coming up with, uh, with a helpful solution. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's been a lot of research that... Um, it says that uh, you know gambling markets are very good predictors of outcome. You know, if you want to know who the next president is going to be, look at the look at the odds in Vegas. I think that'll give you a good sense of of, of what those probabilities are. And that is really a crowd a crowd oriented predictive market, and it has one essential feature to it that you know we talk about in the discussion, and that is that the predictions have a consequence; they have a value or a reward for being correct. So obviously when you're gambling, if you're right, you, know, you win some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, theoretically, with the stock market, you're trying to predict future cash flow. And you know, if you get that right, the stock should grow. The value of the stock should grow over time. So these are two examples of predictive markets, crowd markets, uh, that have, uh, have a reward on the line. And uh, they've been notably uh, accurate. Uh, in in you know predicting the predicting events, so they're using that same strategy to try to look at a set of symptoms and the condition of a patient where the diagnosis has been difficult, and see if the the, the wisdom of the crowd can can uh, come up with a solution that actually ends up uh, being the right one. 
And Jared, like a number of the, the folks you've talked to on the podcast, has a, a personal story, something that drew him into healthcare. It seems to be something we're hearing more and more about folks outside of healthcare having a bad experience with healthcare and trying to come in and find a way to fix it. Yeah. It, you know, he's a, a serial entrepreneur. He did very well, uh, it seems, in his other companies in terms of they, they were successful uh, exits for him. And, uh, but he wanted to, he had a, an issue uh, with a family member where they had difficulty diagnosing, uh, you know, her illness. And he said, well, maybe I can, I can use, uh, some of the, some modern technology and, and business ideas to help this. And, you know, it's funny, Tom, I, I look at this also from the point of view of a, a lot, it's a lot of discussion about robotics and, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And those are very cool things. Um, but, in healthcare, there is a most of the valuable IT um, is going to be built around helping the healthcare system get smarter uh, in real time, where doctors are assisting patients. And this is another example of technology coming to the rescue, if you will, and, and trying to help solve help people solve a problem that ultimately will lead to a treatment by people. If you follow what I mean? Yeah, no, I definitely do, and it and it. And it would seem to be sort of a almost a Google or a WebMD on steroids where you're not just typing in headache, loss of hair in Google and hoping something comes up, but you're, you're drilling down into people who actually know what the heck they're talking about and, and coming up with, I assume, a better, a better conclusion. Yeah. Well, you should. I mean, he thinks that you're going to come up with the right conclusion more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps, uh, perhaps he's right. It seems, it, seems like he's got, it seems like it's got some good theory and some good possibilities behind it. All right, well, let's get into it. More cool stuff on the Breaking Health Podcast. Welcome to the uh, Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Jared Hyman, the uh, founder and CEO of CrowdMed. Uh, Welcome to the show, Jared. Thanks, David. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. I mean, we we have the opportunity to to see um, entrepreneurs, you know, cross the divide from uh, non healthcare to becoming a healthcare entrepreneur. And you've had you know, a very rich uh, rich experience. So before we get into CrowdMed, which is a, a very original idea, something we haven't talked about on the show before, um, maybe you can answer one quick question, which isn't often quick, and that would be. Uh, what are you doing being an entrepreneur in the first place? There's a very good employment market out there for smart people. Uh, what what got you in the into the uh, the line of work of starting companies? It might be a good employment uh, a marketplace, but I'm I'm very unemployable. <laughs> um, All you guys are. Why is that? Uh, <laughs> I, I think the, the personality type of an entrepreneur is is just different than the personality type of an employer of employee. Excuse me. Um, so I think very few people are, are, are cut out to, to, to be an entrepreneur and an employee, it's just different personalities. And so this was sort of like you were either going to be doing this or you were going to be a bum. Is that the idea? <laughs> <laughs> I actually tried being a bum for two years uh, after exiting my last company, and that didn't work out for me either. So I've <laughs> had no choice but to be an entrepreneur. Very cool. So um, welcome welcome to the medical and, and the healthcare space. Um, you were... Uh, you were very very successful previously. What what made you want to come into healthcare? Was it a a personal ambition, a personal story, or did you just see a good business opportunity here? Well, it, 
after uh, my last couple of companies, I was, and after I took this two-year sabbatical, I was ready to start something new. And I wanted to go into a space that really intrigued me, not only intellectually, but also emotionally. And the reason I chose healthcare, and, and also the reason I chose uh, crowdsourcing medical answers in particular, is that my sister had spent three years with a really terrible, undiagnosed medical condition. And uh, I watched her three-year struggle as she bounced from doctor to doctor, you know, desperately seeking answers. And uh, eventually, she did come to a correct diagnosis and cure, but it took three years, almost two dozen doctors, six-figure medical bills, and I just knew there must be a better way. So uh, I knew that something in the healthcare space addressing uh, uh, patients like my sister, or even less extreme cases like my sister, where someone had, is still struggling for any type of medical answer after seeing multiple experts, that was the problem I wanted to solve. Mm-hmm. That's what does. Yeah, I mean, it's it, you see these problems in the healthcare system, especially when they get personal like that. As, as an IT entrepreneur, and we should have the technology to be able to get faster answers to to these problems. And yet, you know, we continue to to see these issues come up in healthcare all the time. I'm assuming your sister's doing well at this point. So, when did it occur to you that we should be thinking about using crowdsourcing as a method for diagnosing patients? It's kind of a confluence of factors. So watching my sister's experience made me well aware of the problem. And I also saw how how hyper-specialized physicians are these days and how there's not a lot of uh, communication and collaboration within uh, the healthcare system or care coordination, as it's sometimes referred. So I I saw the problem there, and uh, I wanted to solve it. And it just so happened that I also had a pretty rich background in this phenomenon called the wisdom of crowds, Mm -hmm. which I'm happy to explain in more detail later. So I knew a lot about crowdsourcing. I knew a lot about crowd intelligence and how to harness it through my, my previous uh, uh, companies. And I want to apply all that I had learned to solving difficult medical cases like my sister's you know, by tapping into this, this wisdom of crowds. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about the wisdom of crowds. When, uh, when I was a business school student, they used to, we used to talk about the concept of the efficient market hypothesis, which contends that all information is contained in the price of a stock. Uh, at that moment in time, and really pricing of a stock, crowd activity, right? It happens every day. It happens right in front of us uh, every second. Technological infrastructure that we've built through the internet has progressed to, to, to the point where we start to think about how to apply you know, those types of concepts to more complex notions than just a price. So give us an overview of the wisdom of crowds and, and, and how you see it uh, from a theoretical and practical context. Well, I'm glad that you brought up efficient markets hypothesis because that is the uh, underlying theory that, that uh, fuels what's called prediction markets, which are virtual stock markets that one can use to predict future outcomes. A crowd met is, is based on a prediction market, so we apply that particular mechanism for, for harnessing crowd wisdom uh, on crowd med. But before talking about prediction, prediction markets in more detail, let me back up a second and talk about this wisdom of crowds phenomenon. As prediction markets are just one of, of several mechanisms for, for capturing crowd intelligence or crowd wisdom. So the core of this theory is that large groups of people are collectively much smarter than individual experts. And there's a fantastic book about crowd wisdom called The Wisdom of Crowds, uh, written by a guy named James Sirowiecki. It was a New York Times bestseller in 2004, the year that it was published. And I read that book shortly after its publication. And at the time, I was applying a lot of what I learned through it 
to my previous company called InfoServe, which is a market research firm. But uh, when I read this book, I really gained an appreciation for how incredibly intelligent crowds can be. But you have to have the right mechanism in place to aggregate their intelligence. Without the right mechanism, it's, it's all for naught. So, uh, the, you know, a prediction market is one such mechanism. Mm-hmm. It, it's based on efficient markets hypothesis, and, and, uh, and which is the same thing that, that makes stock markets so good at, at predicting uh, uh, outcomes for, for companies. You know, stock market is, a stock market price is the best predictor of the future cash flow of a company. And the reason for that is, as you touched on, Stephen, a, a price incorporates a lot of information. So basically, all known information uh, amongst marketplace participants is kind of summarized or incorporated into, into this price. And without going on too much of a nerdy tangent, uh, CrowdMed is a prediction market, but instead of predicting you know, a company's future cash flow, like the stock market does, we predict what's most likely to be the correct diagnosis or solution for a patient. And every time a diagnosis or solution is suggested on our site, there's essentially a, a price that's attached to it. Mm-hmm. You can't see the price on our, on our site because we, you know, we try to shield our users from, from all of this nerdiness. Um, but under the hood, there is a price attached to each one. And our users, instead of uh, buying shares like you do on a stock market, they invest points mm-hmm. through a point allocation feature that they use to express how much confidence they have in a particular answer. And then we use that aggregate point allocation behavior to eventually assign very accurate probabilities to each outcome or each potential diagnosis or solution. Very cool. That's essentially how problem it works under the hood. Let me, let me just make one statement. I love nerdy stuff, so I'm not going to let you stop. All right. So let me see if I can provoke <laughs> okay. a little more nerdiness here. Um, so one of my favorite prediction markets is, uh, gambling odds, right? Um, a lot of people think that you can probably get the best sense for who's going to be elected president or who's going to win the Super Bowl or who's going to win tomorrow night's game by the gambling odds. The gambling odds will direct you to, to winners and losers. And that's one way of leveraging the wisdom of crowds. Um, and that of course has got a very simple model. Those are people that are actually betting their own money on the outcome, right? Um, and so isn't one of, and and of course that's the same, same issue with the the, the stock market, uh, right? People are actually putting dollars out there or, you know, an economic, or there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a feedback mechanism, a demonstration of belief mechanism in those type of types of markets that allow us to, um, put, put some credibility into the prediction that's being, um, being put forth. So how do you translate that to your model? Uh, first of all, uh, you raised a great point that uh, sports betting markets are by far the most accurate way of predicting a sports outcome. So in other words, the, the odds tend to, be, tend to get it right most of the time, certainly more often than any individual uh, better can do. So in other words, the market tends to outperform any individual uh, better. Uh, there have also been prediction markets uh, on election, based on election outcomes, a very famous example is something called the Iowa Electronic Market, which has been accurately predicting U.S. election outcomes for, I believe, over 20 years now, and much more accurately than, than any uh, individual uh, predictor can do. So prediction markets are very good at what they do, and uh, there are real money uh, markets, like uh, you know, sports betting is usually based on real money, uh, you know, fantasy football aside. Uh, and then there's, and even the Iowa Electronic Market actually is a real money market where people can actually bet 
on who they think is going to win an election, uh, that real dollars and win real dollars if they're correct, that real money prediction markets work very well. But interestingly enough, there's uh, uh, fake money uh, prediction markets can also work quite well. So as long as whatever the participants have at stake has, has meaning to them, then uh, they really think long and hard about the bets they place, and that makes the, the prediction market ultimately quite accurate. So on CrowdNet, it's funny. In the early days, I wanted to make it a real money market. I wanted people to bet actual money on what they <laughs> thought was going to be the right diagnosis yep. or solution for a patient. Uh, you, you, you laugh, as, as did my attorney. Well, no, <laughs> I, I think it's – I, I laughed <laughs> because I think it's a really – Really smart turn, actually. But the, the but your attorney, of course, laughed and said, "We can't do that in the medical business, right?" <laughs> yes, he, he said. Not only does it violate, you know, various SEC regulations, but you know, there's also maybe a moral component that might come up. So, uh, as much as the nerd in me wanted to make a real money uh, uh, prediction market for for betting on what people's diagnosis was, um, we had to, that that wasn't going to fly. But what we did instead on CrowdMed is we make, we have a point system where when someone joins the site as a medical detective or a case solver, they get a certain allocation of points. I believe it's 20,000 points to start. And those points are finite, and therefore they have value, because once you exhaust your points, you're done. So, uh, and, uh, and on the flip side, if you allocate your points well, you can make real money. So every case on our site does have a cash reward attached to it. Our average right now is about $400 per case. And that money is ultimately divided up amongst the, the best participants in that case. In other words, the people who either suggest or support what turns out to be the right answer, uh, and they support it through their point bets. And in fact, they, there's even a point fee to make a suggestion. Um, and then also there's a subjective component where the patient can allocate a certain number of their points or a certain, number of, a certain amount of their reward uh, subjectively uh, based on just who they found most helpful. So this allows us to create kind of a hybrid model where right. it is in some ways a real money market because real money is, is to be made while at the same time people don't have to place bets with their own cash, which would get us into all kinds of trouble. Well, it's a one-way market, if you, but, but every theoretically every 20,000 points has some sort of hypothetical potential value or, or something of that nature. So, sure. If, um, if, one, if one uses their points wisely, they can, our top participants have started with 20,000 points and made tens of thousands of dollars. So if you perform well over time, there's quite a bit of money that can be made. Hey, everybody, this is Tom here. just wanted to interrupt this great conversation to remind you to go to the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. It's on November 2nd. It's happening in Boston. Uh, we sold out last year, so you should, uh, you should try to sign up as quickly as possible. And you can still use your breaking health code to save yourself a little bit of money. Uh, go to healthogy.com. That's the word health followed by the letters egy.com. Healthogy is the company that puts on the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit and puts out the Breaking Health Podcast. So I hope you will join us on November 2nd in Boston. Register now, right away. Go do it. Thanks. Now back to this conversation. Very cool. So that's, that's how you, you're dealing with the consequence aspect of a prediction, right? So anybody can be predictive. In fact, they're all over the place, right? Every day, every morning, we turn the, the news on and people are telling me that the markets are going to go up and down. Interest rates are going to go up and down. But it's really, it's really those that are, have a consequence. And if you get enough people where the consequence matters, you can then start to create accurate or, or more accurate predictions because they're using, you've got collective best judgments going into the problem. Is that, is that the way to think about it? Yeah, that's a, a great way of summarizing it. And we can talk later about the accuracy of CrowdMed, but it's, it's really quite phenomenal. 
I think we've really proven that uh, that this uh, prediction market dynamic, when applied to medicine, can be extremely accurate predictably. Well, tell so so tell me how long have you been been up and running, and give me uh, give me a use case, give me an example of something that's happened uh, that 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 the listeners might find interesting in terms of how how uh, a CrowdMed was used to uh, to help somebody. Sure, uh, we've been up and running since April 2013. I guess it's been about three and a half years now since we launched the site to the public, which is, you know, in, in startup years, that's a long time. Uh, it's given us a lot of time to, to really uh, build and refine and improve our model. Um, we've also had quite a bit of usage. We've had over half a million visitors uh, to our website. Uh, we've had several thousand cases uh, that have been posted. So really uh, enough usage to, to really prove statistically that the model is working quite well. Um, to give you one example of a use case, um, and, and frankly, we have you know many, many hundreds or thousands of success stories that I can choose from. Um, every single week, we hear from another patient who tells us that uh, we either uh, saved their life or dramatically improved their life at getting them these answers that they were so desperately seeking. So we literally have new success stories emerge uh, every week. But uh, if I had to pick one as an example, uh, one of my favorites is a patient named Joseph. Um, and uh, I, I actually gave a, a talk at TedMed about his case. Uh, a couple of years ago. And it's one of my favorites because Joseph's case very much reminded me of my sister's, where uh, he was an adolescent boy. Um, he had been struggling for many years with a, a, a medical mystery, if you will, or a case that was unresolved. And he had seen multiple physicians. I think in his case, he had seen about 14 doctors over a five-year period, and nobody could figure out what it was. And this is somewhat, uh, while Joseph's case is extreme in terms of the number of doctors he'd seen already, um, it's typical on our site in the sense that all of our all of our patients have seen multiple physicians and are still seeking answers. Maybe they've only seen a primary care doctor and one or two specialists. Maybe they've seen five or six or ten doctors. But uh, in any event, they're still seeking answers, and that's the common thread amongst all of our patients. But in Joseph's case, uh, he had these very strange symptoms and, and also really debilitating: uh, painful body aches, severe fatigue. Uh, his, his mother wrote in his case, you know, my son feels like he's dying, which is an awful thing to, to say about your, uh, your adolescent child. A lot of people would say it sounds like Lyme disease, but I'm, you know, I'm just being hypothetical. You know, I, I have no idea what the outcome was, but that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they thought it was initially. Yeah, it actually ended up being Lyme disease. Oh, okay. Um, how, many, how much would I have won yeah, for that? I did not, honestly, I'll be honest with you, Jack, I did not know the story, so I just took a guess. But uh, how much would I have won? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's impressive. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why his doctors missed it uh, yeah. in a second. But uh, uh, in this case, actually, unfortunately, he wouldn't have won anything because yeah. this was a, a pro bono case. Okay. Um, periodically, uh, we launched a case free of charge uh, for patients and with, with no reward. Um, so Joseph's case happened to be a pro bono one, so there was no reward. But we still had 40 people participate in it from all around the world because the case was so interesting. Uh-huh. Um, our average cases, though, get closer to 10 to 20 participants. Um, but in any event, uh, uh, Lyme disease was something that, if you look at his symptoms, make a lot of sense. And it's something that his doctors had actually considered and tested for early on, but the test results were negative. And once they were negative, you know, all the subsequent doctors said, well, he's already negative for Lyme, then let's not go down that path. Um, but what often happens in a crowd med case is there's some clue, there's some small thing that had been overlooked. And uh, often in our cases as well, the answer is obvious in hindsight, but there's still reasons that, that it was missed by the medical system. Uh, in Joseph's case, uh, uh, Lyme disease was ruled out prematurely 
because the test he was given was given too soon, and it was also a test that only has about a 60% accuracy rate. So, uh, so those combination of factors made Lyme disease essentially rolled out prematurely. But some of our medical detectives took note of that and said, hey, you know, I, I know you guys already, already ruled out Lyme, but we really think you should be tested you know, using this test, and here's why. And it's that new test that led to his uh, uh, confirmed diagnosis and, and successful treatment with antibiotics. That's great. That's great. I, I, I love that story. So it leads to you know, all kinds of questions. First question that I have is, how does one become a medical detective? Is it anybody get to become a medical detective or do they have to have a credential? How does, how does that work? Well, that was a question we had to kind of figure out in the early days. It's how we wanted to uh, gate the community or who we wanted to let become a medical detective. And there's a couple of different ways of looking at that, that question. Uh, one way is through the wisdom of crowds lens, which basically says the crowds are most wise when you have a very large and intellectually diverse community of people which essentially implies very little vetting or screening because you want the crowd to be as large and intellectually, intellectually diverse as possible. The second way of looking at it is, hey, this is, this is medicine. This is people's lives. This is healthcare. And we need to be very careful about who we allow to actually you know, interface with the patient because we don't want the patient getting bad ideas. I mean, that can be really harmful in, in a medical context. So we had to kind of uh, balance these two opposing forces where we wanted to follow the wisdom of crowd theory. We wanted to keep the crowd large and diverse. We also wanted to make sure we were protecting quality, making sure that only really good answers would ever make it to a patient, and any bad answers were screened out. So what we ultimately came up with is what we call our detective rating system, or DR system for short. And essentially the way it works is every medical detective on our site has a DR score between 1 and 10. And that score uh, is what determines how much influence they have on patient cases. So, for example, if you have a DR3, which is a fairly low score, anything you say has to be approved, approved by the case moderator, who's always a licensed physician, before the patient can ever see it. So, basically, you have some influence, but it's very little. Essentially, the patient can only see what the moderator says, yeah, you know, says, yeah that's a good idea. On the other end of the spectrum, you have, I say, DR10s, the highest which have a, a ton of influence. Uh, they can suggest anything they want without moderator approval. Uh, they can access the most difficult cases on the site. And uh, they also have their score uh, published next to their username, so everyone knows to take them really seriously and listen to them. So that DR score is what we use to essentially control quality and make sure that uh, only our best-performing detectives can have significant influence. And over time, we also started to incorporate medical credentials into that DR score. So if, for example, you've already proven yourself through the medical system, say you're a, a licensed physician in good standing, then you start off higher on the scale. Uh, in this case, a DR8 is what you start off with as a licensed physician. So what you end up with is, is this DR score, which basically bets or, or gates how much influence each detective has on our site. And one DR score is a function of both their formal medical credentials and also their performance on the site. And at the end of the day, uh, essentially assures that, that the best detectives have the most influence, and those who have not yet proven themselves have very little influence until they do. Interesting. And I like DR score. It's got, it's got a, lot of, a lot of connotations to it. It's, also, it's a detective rating, and it's got a medical connotation to it. Very, very interesting. Very interesting approach. 
it's probably no coincidence that we have that DR scores is, you know, DR like doctor. And yeah, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. It feels like it probably <laughs> isn't. <laughs> but that's okay. You're a marketing guy, right? Yeah, we want something that, that, that makes sense in a, negative, in a medical context. Yeah. But we do also make clear to our detectives that DR does not mean doctor. It means sure. detective rating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, there's there's a lot of um, approaches to this to this problem. You know, one approach we had grand rounds on on the program, which part of their business is uh, second opinions from specialists. There's a company out out there called Best Doctors, which which whose goal would be to get uh, patients with difficult cases or concerning cases in front of some of the best specialists in that area. And and your your approach is is very different, um, but it, you know it makes sense with respect to sort of the modern context of trying to use scale computing to you know gather intelligence and and opinions. Have you scored yourself against the medical community to see how you're doing? Uh, are you asking if we scored ourselves against, say, second opinion services like Grand Rounds or Best Doctors, or whether we've scored ourselves against just the medical establishment as a whole? Um, I, the latter. I wouldn't have expected you to do, do, do it against those. I was just sort of contrasting your approach to this problem with theirs. Um, and, and obviously the question becomes, are you performing better than the medical community as a whole? in, in uh, being able to rec- you know, reconcile that diagnosis in some of these cases? Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say that I think that what Grand Rounds and Best Doctors are doing is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think anytime one provides an additional resource for patients to get answers beyond what they're getting through the traditional medical system, you know, that's a good thing. So I commend those guys on, on what they're doing. Um, I would say philosophically, uh, we're kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum, right. where they think it's all about getting that, that one individual experts' opinion, and they go through a lot of effort to make sure they're getting just that, that, that perfect individual to comment on, on the patient's case, whereas we believe uh, uh, that it's not about individual expertise. It's more about the collective intelligence of many people. So we have much different philosophies, um, even though we are uh, trying to help provide medical answers to patients, and that, you know, that much we have in common. Now, I would also say that we uh, focus on different types of cases. Whereas uh, they're focused more on just traditional second opinion type cases, where you know, hey, my you know my doctor says I need surgery, or my doctor says you know I've got this type of cancer, um, I'd like to get one more opinion you know before I begin treatment. And whereas we're really more people that are that are seeking answers, ninety-five percent of our patients don't yet have a diagnosis they think is correct. So um, so I just want to make that those uh, uh, clarifications. Uh, in terms of how we compare the medical system, which I realize was the main part of the main question you asked, uh, uh, that is something that, that, we, that we really try to uh, benchmark ourselves against the medical establishment. So one way of benchmarking ourselves is did we give the patient an answer that they were not getting through the medical system? Right. So we ask our patients post-case, did Crowdman provide insights that eventually led to your correct diagnosis or cure? And that's, that's our big success metric. You know, we want to provide insight that the medical system had not. And I'm proud to say that more than 60% of our patients say, yes, we did give them insight that led to their correct diagnosis or cure. And these patients, on average, have seen more than half a dozen doctors. So it's not an exaggeration to say that more than half the time, probably performs better than half a dozen doctors did. Right. So that's, that's good. Yeah, and of course, you're, you've got some sort of self-selecting going on in that area to your, you know, to the point, point being that obviously anybody that's pleased with what, 
the, what answers they're getting or, or service they're getting from the medical establishment is less likely to come to your site, right? So you're, you're actually getting the people that are having difficulty finding, uh, finding a, a solution, right? That's right. So it, it's not to say that uh, if a patient you know, had only seen one doctor, CrowdMed would, do, uh, would outperform that next doctor they see. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is that if a patient had seen, say, six doctors or seven doctors, uh, they're much more likely to get the correct answer on CrowdMed than just seeing that next position. I guess it's possible that that next position would have solved it 60% of the time, but it doesn't, doesn't seem likely. Right. Um, but, you know, most likely, you know, one more, after you've already seen six or seven, most likely that, that one additional one, you know, would not happen to be the one that solves the case. So that's kind of how we benchmark ourselves in one way. Uh, another way we do it is more subjective, where we ask the patient just straight out, how did your CrowdMed experience compare to the traditional medical system? And our patients have, on average, about a 5x preference for CrowdMed over the traditional medical system. So from a subjective standpoint, they're vastly, um, they're enjoying their common experience much more than the experience they had in the medical system. Yeah, I believe that. I definitely believe that. I mean, and, and really at the end of the day, if a high percentage of your, um, your customers are getting, uh, are, are getting to, you know, directed correctly in terms of getting their issues resolved, I mean, that is, you know, that is a major accomplishment at the end of the day. Uh, you know, just being able to to solve that problem, or or pre, you know present a, a better alternative, is is fantastic. When I think about health healthcare, and I think about technology, right? We we hear a lot of discussions about how, in some areas, technology sort of replaces human activity through automation. Um, and there's been you know the question is often asked, you know, is that possible in healthcare? And you know, I've always argued, you know, it's kind of tough because healthcare really is a very, it's very idiosyncratic. Each patient is very different from the next, um, even though we try to sort of lump them together in terms of how to treat disease and so forth. So, really, you know, what you're building is technology that leverages human capabilities uh, to a great to to a greater scale. In effect. Uh, you've created technology that allows my situation to be reviewed and thought about by, I'm guessing, thousands of people, uh, you know, in an ep- in an effort to resolve that issue, um, as opposed to the technology itself solving the problem. That, that's very accurate. Um, what our technology does is it, it it harnesses the collective intelligence of, of many individuals, real human beings. We're not solving cases algorithmically. Um, we're not, you know, we're not just putting people through an algorithm and saying, all right, you have X. We're getting 10 to 20, you know, real people to, to look at their case and think about it and apply their intuition and judgment and experience. And, and we think that that crowd-based approach uh, is better than both the traditional approach of seeing one expert at a time and also better uh, for our types of patients than a purely algorithmic approach, which might be more applicable to a common ailment but it just doesn't do well for, for difficult or complex or hairy cases. And we've, so, so we've covered a lot. I, I, how many, how many uh, DRs, <laughs> no, DRs is the wrong word, how many detectives do you have in your network today? Uh, we've had about 20,000 who have registered. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, they're, not all, they're not all active, uh, but we do have uh, we don't, the most exact numbers, but we have a, a large community of active detectives. Uh, any given patient can expect to hear from 10 to 20 medical detectives, which, uh, you know, think of how long it would take you to, to, to see 10 or, 10 or 20 doctors you know, mm-hmm. through the traditional uh, medical system. 
uh, you know, whereas we get 10 to 20 expert opinions within the matter of a couple of months. And it's just much more efficient for patients than, than seeing one doctor at a time. And I should also mention that even though, even though our community is so vast, those 10 to 20 people uh, have an incentive to only participate in those cases that they're confident they can help solve. Mm-hmm. And we provide a lot of tools for our detectives to, to really zero in on the cases that match their unique expertise and background. So the 10 to 20 who any given patient ends up with, you know, we believe are the, the best 10 to 20 in our community uh, to, to address their particular case. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a large number of experts with the right, with the right background, you know, all looking at the right cases. And that's where the algorithms come in, to try to direct the cases and provide the information. How much information does, what's the level of detail that a, a, a patient, if you will, would, uh, would provide? What level of detailed information do I have to provide to participate uh, on the site? We ask for a lot. Because um, we know that uh, the, uh, a complex case is, you know, by definition, complex, and uh, you never know what will be that clue that will lead our detectives to to the right answer. So we ask patients uh, quite a few questions. Uh, we have a patient questionnaire where we ask a couple dozen questions about their medical history and what medications they're taking and their symptoms and uh, you know, which diagnoses have been uh, already considered or ruled out. And, you know, we work with a lot of doctors to, to devise the, the, the right set of questions to ask patients. And then on top of all these questions, uh, we also have the ability for patients to upload medical records, uh, imaging test results, you know, any kind of, kind of diagnostic test results. Um, and, of course, all of this can be done anonymously. Mm-hmm. Some cases are submitted completely anonymously, which is important. And then even after all that's done, uh, our medical detectives can, can ask follow-up questions to the patient. They can say, hey, can, can you describe, you know, this symptom in more detail? Or can you please have this test run and upload the findings? So what we end up with is a, is a pretty comprehensive uh, 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 summary of, of all the patient's medical details. But again, all anonymous. Very cool. And are you, are you imagining that this is going to be covered by insurance or is this largely a fee-for-service model uh, going forward? And I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> in fact... <laughs> Um, getting this covered by insurance is our number one strategic goal right now. Sure. So that's what we're focused on above, above all else. Uh, we want to make CrowdMed something that is free or very low cost for patients. And the best way to do that is by having their health plan cover the cost. And I can say that we're in talks with many health plans. We've actually got a couple of health plan pilots um, already set up with several more in the pipeline. And we've also had a study done. Uh, by, in fact, it was done by Evidation Health. I saw that you interviewed Deb yep. on a uh, previous podcast. Yep. Yep. And uh, Evidation even did a study to, uh, they analyzed actual medical claims data for our patients pre and post CrowdMed. And what they found is that CrowdMed leads to a very dramatic reduction in a patient's medical costs. And that cost reduction is enjoyed typically by their health plan, you know, assuming the health plan is the one at risk for, for, that, for that life. And uh, it's really a win-win because uh, if the health plan covers CrowdMed, uh, not only is the patient satisfied and, and likely on the path to a cure, but we can also save the health plan incredible amounts of money by reducing these patients' medical costs. Sure. Sure, it's a lot cheaper to go to CrowdMed than seven doctors, that's for sure. <clears throat> <laughs> Way cheaper. And, and if I want today, I'm assuming you know, I, I, it is probably a fee-for-service model, and I'm assuming you've got the price point as low as you can get it so that you can begin to build the network out. Is there is it is it the same price for everyone? Is it circumstance driven? How does 
How does somebody, how do you charge for your product? So we have three different service packages that one can choose from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each package has a, a two-month minimum. So the way it works out is the overall minimum charge to submit a case on CrowdMed is about $300, mm-hmm. um, which isn't that bad to get you know, 10 to 20 medical expert opinions. Nope, that's a good price. Uh, we also, <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. You know, no, no more than a, just the flight to get to the Mayo Clinic. Right. Um, and uh, on top of that, uh, you know, we have other packages that uh, where uh, essentially the, the case has a higher reward to attach to attract more of the best and brightest detectives or uh, our higher packages also uh, more carefully control which detectives will have access to the case. So, for example, our elite package, which is $1,500 a month, um, excuse me, I'm sorry, $750 a month uh, with a two-month minimum. So, but with the elite package, only our top 1% of detectives can fully participate. So, if you're a, a venture capitalist, <laughs> yeah. you don't mind spending you know, $750 a month, then you can really kind of just hear from the, the, the creme de la creme of, of our community. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I'm, I, once again, I'm here with uh, Jared Hyman, the, uh, the CEO of CrowdMed. I've got my, uh, my last couple of questions for you, Jared. Thanks for, for, for joining. I really, I really think this is interesting, and, and uh, I'm confident that you're, you're going to have success here. Um, we started talking about entrepreneurship, so sort of would like to finish talking about Company building, uh, which is you know one one essential ingredient of entrepreneurship, and part of that is culture, and part of that is uh, you know how to how to grow uh, your people. So give me a sense for um, your your strategy about people, about culture, uh, and and what it's like to work work for your company. Uh, well, first of all, there's there's nothing more important. Uh, uh, Tony Shea, uh, founder of, of Zappos, famously said, uh, "Culture is destiny." Mm-hmm. And I also saw a quote attributed to Steve Jobs that said, you know, the first 10 people at a company completely predict its outcome. Um, so it, it's probably not, not news to you, Stephen, but um, any good entrepreneur should know that, that people and culture are, are the most important things uh, to determine a company's future and, and eventual outcome. So it is something that I think about a lot. Um, I think culture actually begins with people, uh, not, not vice versa. So just as the first you know, 10 people at a company will, will predict its outcome, those first 10 people and their mix of personalities uh, and the dynamic between them will also predict the company's culture. So uh, I think the most important, the best way to, to get the right culture is to hire the right people. And, uh, you know, CrowdMed, uh, we, I really try to, to bring on board people that are, that are not only very good in their respective domains, but who also are people that uh, have the, the values and the, uh, the, the cultural tendencies, if you will, uh, that uh, that I want to foster, and in our case, you know, I would say that our culture is uh, is collegial. You know, we all have lunch together every day. We get along great. Um, we hang out after work, both uh, in small groups and as a company. Sometimes, uh, I would say that uh, we're informal, uh, and I think that's important as well because formality uh, hinders communication. So, having an informal environment, uh, I think, really facilitates open, honest communication. Uh, just as you're probably more open and honest with to your wife, which is a more informal relationship than you would be with you know someone who you just met. Sure. Um, I would, uh, you know, other things we emphasize are uh, intellectual curiosity. You know, we uh, I think we're all curious, and uh, anytime someone has an opposing point of view, we'll always hear it out. Uh, we may agree, we may disagree, but we'll always listen 
and uh, we, we treat everything as a hypothesis to be proven or disproven, as opposed to you know, just believing in mantras per se. So those are just, just a few things that, that uh, I've tried to engender at the company and, and I think is, has helped us perform so well. Very good, very good. So um, it looks like we are, are coming up to the end of our time. And uh, I guess if I could ask, um, how can people that are interested in your company find out more about you and reach out to you? Do you have a Twitter handle, website, Facebook page, et cetera? Well, CrowdMed's pretty simple. It's just crowdmed.com. Uh, if anyone wants to find me directly, uh, uh, I, I do have a Twitter handle, uh, at Jared Hyman. My last name is H-E-Y-M-A-N. Although, frankly, I'm not a very frequent uh, tweeter. <laughs> okay. Um, but... Uh, if, uh, if anyone is up with my health plan, then, um, please reach out to us right away because, uh, uh, our biggest, as I mentioned, our biggest strategic goal is to partner with, with health plans. So, uh, that's, I'll make that plug. Uh, and otherwise, yeah, just go to crowdmed.com and, and check it out. And I think our site's pretty self-explanatory. Terrific. Hey, listen, thank you for your time. Um, loved getting to know you and the company and, uh, I wish you the best. It's good. It's good to get to know you. Thank you, Steve. my wife. All right, everyone, that is a wrap. Steve Prupa, great to have you back from vacation. I don't care what you say, you sound rested and ready to go. So glad to have you back in the chair. Jared Hyman of CrowdMed, thank you for your innovation and uh, your explanation as to what CrowdMed is up to. It's uh, an interesting concept, one that we'll be tracking and no doubt talking about at a future Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. And for those who want to attend the upcoming summit, again, Go to Healthigy.com. Healthigy is the company that puts on the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit and puts out the Breaking Health Podcast. Spelled healthegy.com. Healthigy.com. Go there to register for the November 2nd conference so we can see you in Boston. Thanks again for joining us. This is Tom Salemi, Content Director of Healthigy, signing off and promising you next week another uh, tale of innovation. <laughs>